Amen. All right. While they receive the offering, let's go ahead and pull out our Bibles. We're going to jump right into a new, a, a brand new series this morning in the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke. We're starting a new series this morning, and secretly, we actually secretly started this series um, in December. Um, we knew where we were going, um, and so we started this in December. Every single one of the sermons during the season of Advent came from the birth narrative of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And so we preached through the first two chapters of Luke in December, and now we're going to launch this morning, we're going to launch into Luke chapter 4, and we're going to see where Jesus kind of begins his ministry, what he does right before he begins his ministry. In Luke chapter 4, it's going to be in page 501 in the white Bibles. If you didn't bring a Bible, you, you want a Bible this morning. You're going to want to trek along. And so there's a white Bible underneath the seat you're sitting in. You can reach down there and pull out the Bible, Luke chapter 4, page 501 in that white Bible. If you don't own a Bible, like you don't have a Bible at home somewhere, somewhere on your shelf or on your coffee table or wherever, um, steal that one. Just, just steal that, um, and you can tell all your friends that you stole a Bible from church and just see how they respond to that. It'll be fun. All right. Luke chapter 4 is where we're going to pick up, and this is just before, this is immediately before Jesus begins his earthly ministry is what we refer to it as, the, the three years where he is really busy um, proclaiming the kingdom and the glory of God, um, marching towards the mission that he is seeking to accomplish um, to ultimately um, be crucified in Jerusalem, to, to give up his life um, as a ransom for you and for me, for, for many. All right, um, And so before he begins that earthly ministry, um, he is led into the wilderness, into the desert to be tempted um, by Satan, by the devil. And that's what actually what we're going to look at this morning together, this, this crazy story from Luke chapter 4. And we got a lot to cover, and so we're going to jump right in together. Luke 4, picking up in verse 1, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, right? So before this, he was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. He returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. For 40 days, being tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. All right. Jesus is led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And who leads him into the wilderness? What? Is that not weird? Does that not blow anybody's mind? Like, what does that do to your view of the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Does that not blow your mind a little bit? Like, like that, that, little, that little piece... That little piece does a lot of damage to our pretty theology, okay? To the theology that says, man, the Holy Spirit's here to give me all the stuff that I want and, and comfort me and help me and just and, and, and be there for me when I'm, when I'm down and when I'm feeling lonely, pick me back up. No, he leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That, that's what he does. Like my, my, our staff team kind of makes fun of me in, in the band. Um, some, some of them don't like this, but I've said, man, that song, Oceans, don't ever play that again. Please, I can't, I can't hear one more time. For multiple reasons, okay? But the one reason that I hang my hat on is, is this. We don't realize what we're singing when we sing that, right? 
spirit lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the water. Now that sounds pretty. I'm like, yes, it makes me feel good. It's just like, oh my gosh, it's just like it's just these warm little butterflies going off inside. But what you're saying is, man, I want to be led to the place where I'm tempted to take my eyes off of Christ. That's what walking on water is. That's what the place where my trust is without borders is. I'm saying, man, tempt me, test me, push me. I want you to push me in the place. And I guess, I guess, lead me into the desert to be tempted by the devil um, wasn't a catchy lyric. And so they scrapped that and said, let's go with some water metaphors. Um, that was the plan, I think, uh, on that. But that's what we're singing. And so we sing something that makes us feel good, but we're not actually thinking about what we're singing in that moment. We're singing something that is actually theologically true, but we're not actually thinking about what we're actually asking for in that moment, to, to be led to a place where we're tempted and tested and pushed. And, and, and here's the thing, it's actually a good place. It can be a good place. Temptation is not necessarily a bad thing. Temptation can be something that actually builds us, that creates in us endurance and strength it can be something that, that, that creates a foundation and a structure, in it, and it's something that, that creates for us kind of guardrails that guide us, and these, these foundations of our life become stronger, um, and, and the path becomes more clear, all depending on how you actually endure it. The great theologian John Owen uh, put it this way. He said, we are commanded as our duty to tempt, to try or search ourselves to know what is in us, to know what we actually believe, to know why we believe it, and to pray that God would do so also. So temptation is like a knife. It may either cut the meat or the throat of a man. It may be his food or his poison, his exercise or his destruction. You see, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness for his exercise, not his destruction. And the Holy Spirit doesn't tempt Jesus. He leads him to be tempted by the devil. Now, that's the second piece. I just want to just kind of laying the groundwork before we actually dive into the temptations, laying the groundwork. So he leads him to be tempted by the devil. The Holy Spirit doesn't tempt him. The devil tempts him. Who is, who is the devil? What is the devil? This is where I think our, our, our kind of Pentecostal um, charismatic brothers and sisters have us way beat on this, right? Um, they have language that the, the, around this. And for us, when we start talking about the devil, everybody gets uncomfortable. They're like, that's weird. I don't want to go there, right? For them, it's just like normal. This is what they talk about all the time, um, for better or for worse. Uh, for us, it's kind of like, nah, do, we have to, do we have to go there? Listen, we could, preach, we could preach an entire series on Satan, and maybe, maybe someday we will. When I was in seminary, I wrote um, a, a dissertation on the life of Satan, who he is and where he came from. And, and let me tell you some things that are, are not true about Satan. Um, he is not God. He's not God. Um, he's not even really an adversary of God. If God wanted to at any moment, any time, he would just crush him. Just in and obliterate him at any at any moment. God is not threatened by him in any in any way, shape, or form. He's not he's not nervous or scared by him in any way, shape, or form. He is he's your adversary. In in mine, um, First Peter tells us that he he prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to destroy. Right, that's that's his job. That's his job is to destroy you and to destroy me, not God. His his job is to destroy the things that God longs for for you. His job is to take from you the things that God wants to be true of you. 
That's what he wants to destroy. He can't, he's not going to destroy God. He's going to destroy what God wants to be true in your life and in mine. He is, he's not God. He's also not, a, he's not related to God. He's not a, a sibling, a brother, a dad, a, a son of God in any way, shape, or form. Um, he was an angel created by God who, who rebelled and rejected and, 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 and ran from God. Who, who can try to um, circumvent what God's plans were. And so therefore he was thrown out, cast out of heaven. And now his dominion is here. It's, it's this earth. It's, it's among us. Um, 2 Corinthians tells us that he disguises himself as an angel of light. And we're, gonna, we're actually going to see a little bit of that. We're going to see a little bit of that in these temptations. You see, I think that we think when Satan shows up, we, we get the lion analogy, okay? Um, when, when everything bad is happening to us in line, we're like, oh man, Satan's just attacking me. I'm going to argue this morning that oftentimes when we find good things in life, that that might actually be him too. That actually might be him too. We're going we're gonna to look a little bit at that in a little bit. Um, he disguises himself as an angel of light. John 8 tells us that he was a murderer from the beginning, right? Death is his goal. His aim is to destroy you and me. And nothing, nothing, uh, he has nothing to do with truth because there is no truth in him. He's the father of lies. Every time he talks, every time everything that comes out of his mouth, there's just no truth in it. There's no truth in it. And he knows your situation. He knows you. And this might be the scariest thing of all. And I'm not saying it to scare you. I'm just trying to, trying to get you to awaken to the reality. When we say, man, I just, I just feel this darkness in my life. We don't have language to go around to go around this. He is there and he knows you. He knows how much is in your bank account or how little is in your bank account. He knows that person at work that drives you crazy. He knows exactly what they do to drive you crazy. He, he knows that, that, that hot button issue between you and your spouse. He knows how to get under your skin in the quickest of ways. He knows what brings you anxiety. He knows what brings you depression. He knows what brings you sorrow. And he also knows what secretly down in your soul you long for. He knows your hopes and he knows your dreams. And that's what we're really going to look at this morning, this idea of him seeking to fulfill our hopes and dreams, which might be the scariest thing of all. He knows what you actually long for. And in order to pull you away from God, he may give you that very thing. He knows in this moment with Jesus, he knows that Jesus is hungry. What does a hungry person long for? Not a true question, I promise. It's an easy one. What does a hungry person long for? Food. All right, right? So the first temptation is just that. Here's, here's what he does. Um, in verse 3. The devil said to him, to Jesus, if you are the son of God... If that's true, if that's who you are, command this stone, command this rock to become bread. Let's eat lunch. If you are the son of God, take this rock, make it into bread. Let's have a meal. Take some water, turn it into wine, right? Take some birds, turn them into filet mignon. I don't, let's have some lunch. Let's, let's fill our bellies with something good. What do you want? You're hungry. You want food. Let's get that. Let's get some food. Let's relieve, in this moment, let's relieve your discomfort. I know you're uncomfortable. You're hungry. Let's relieve that. I know you're uncomfortable at work. Let's relieve that. 
I know you're uncomfortable in your marriage. Let's relieve that. I know you're feeling some discomfort in your relationship with this friend. Let's relieve that. Let me give you, let me offer you the quickest and easiest way out of this situation that you found yourself in. I know it's a little awkward over here. Let's, let's, I, I got a way out for you. I, I know that you are experiencing a little bit of dis- discomfort over here. I, I've got a way to comfort. That's what he offers them, a way to comfort. How do you find comfort? Let's eat. Jesus responds with scripture from the book of Deuteronomy in verse 4, um, or in, in Luke chapter 4, verse 4, four Jesus is going to quote Deuteronomy. He's, and Jesus answered him, it is written... Man shall not live by bread alone. But Jesus, here, here's what happens. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 8.3. Quotes Deuteronomy 8.3. And he takes this, this temptation from the devil to, to take something um, that seems good, it seems good, and to make it Ultimate. Who, who led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit did not lead Jesus into comfort, but discomfort. And who's offering him a way out of that discomfort? Satan. Satan's offering him a way out of that discomfort. And what, what Jesus does in that moment is he recalls Scripture, and he says there's an ultimate authority over my life. I believe that every word of it is breathed out by God and God alone. Every word of it is to be honored and to be obedient to. There's not one piece of it that I will will neglect. And and what it tells me that is true is that I do not need bread alone. What I need more than I need the food in my belly is the God of the universe. That's what's true. And so I'm not going to seek to escape this, this moment of discomfort and reject the God of the universe. This moment of discomfort that he has led me into to teach me something, to drive me closer to him. I'm not going to seek to escape this moment through this temptation. Jesus has a rudder that guides his life, and it is the word of God. He says, the word of God confines me, it controls me, and I will be recklessly, completely, totally obedient to it at every moment in my life. When discomfort creeps in, I will use it to lead and guide me through that discomfort rather than seeking the quickest way to escape that discomfort. Now, for you and for me, this is impossibly hard to understand. Because in our culture, in our day, the reality is is that we are people who are constantly seeking our comfort. Our ultimate goal almost all times is to find the place of greatest comfort. When things become uncomfortable, we are quickly looking for the quickest way out. It doesn't matter if it's like that awkward conversation with the guy at work who just got really bad breath. It's like, how do I get out of this conversation? Or if it's something more serious, right? Like a, deep, like a deep wound or a deep hurt, right? If it's, if it's something that um, maybe, there, maybe there's just like a little thing that like bubbles up at, at work and all of a sudden you're just like, man, I, 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 what do I do? I just, I just want to get out of this. I, I, just, I just want out. And so our, our, what we do is we, we, we rather, rather than saying, God, what are you trying to teach me in this season of my life? 
And so therefore, I will pursue loyalty and endurance, loyalty to you, endurance, patience. I will exercise. I will, I, will, I will lean into your word and say, man, where do I need to seek reconciliation? Where do I need to seek renewal? No, we say, I'm out. I'm out. Same is true in marriage, right? Forget. Man, we wake up someday and we're like, man, marriage is just, it's just harder than I thought it was going to be. Man, I, I, I don't feel the feelings that I felt back then. In fact, I feel like I don't love you anymore. I feel like we don't have that same connection anymore. I, I feel like things are just not the way that they should be anymore. And so we forget what Scripture says. Forget the, the vows that we made before God, saying for better, for worse. And I'm out. I, I'm out. But not Jesus. Jesus says, man, the word binds my actions. Every step I take will be in step with it. I will know the word of God and I will live my life in submission to it. And it leads him and guides him through temptation, not, listen to me, not out of it. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? Temptation can be a good thing used by God for your good, for his glory. And Jesus says, man, I'm going to lean into the word. I'm going to submit myself to it so that it might guide me through temptation, not necessarily out of temptation. Now, some of you might say, Josh, no, 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 no. Listen, the the word of God, if if you do that, if you you allow it to constrain you in every way and you actually believe that every bit of it's true and every little bit of it um, is good for for correction and reproof and for for training up in righteousness, if you you actually believe that and you're going to submit your life fully to it, man, that's going to just rob all of the goodness from your life. There's no excitement there. There's no joy there. There's no, like, like, it's just like boring, boring, boring. Like, you really want to do that? Think about it just for a moment, though. Think about it just for a moment. The best relationships in your life, okay? The best friendships, the best coworkers, um, the, the best people that you know, are they not people, or are they not the people in your life that you have had to seek reconciliation with? Are they not the people that you've had to struggle a little bit through some things in order to get to that place? Are they not the people that you can go to when, that, when things are so hard and, and, and the world is beating you down? They're the people that you run to, but they're also the people that you've had some of the hardest conversations with. And you've had to seek reconciliation and renewal, and you've had to ask for forgiveness from them, and they've had to ask for forgiveness from you. You've had to work through some things in order to get to that point where that relationship actually flourishes. You've had to allow the word of God to guide you in that relationship rather than just saying, I'm out. Are not the greatest marriages that have, that, have la- that have stood the test of time, are they not the ones that have had, have, have had incredibly highs and incredibly low lows? Are they not the ones that have involved some deep counseling, some deep cries for help? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. I don't, I don't know any couple, um, any couple who's been married for 40, 50, 60 years that have not had times where they have questioned, man, man can, can, I, can I keep doing this? I don't, I don't feel like this is right anymore. But they've allowed something greater than themselves, greater than their little selfish longings to control and confine them. Something has called them to pursue something greater. 
They said, man, we must move to either endure, to correct, um, to, to seek counsel, um, because we cannot abandon what God has called us to. We cannot abandon relationships um, that he has called us to. We cannot abandon um, reconciliation. We cannot abandon forgiveness. We cannot abandon our marriage. We cannot abandon uh, these relationships that he's called us to just because we're in a moment of discomfort. And so when Jesus is in a moment of discomfort and Satan comes to him, the thing that binds him, the thing that holds him in place, that grounds him there is one thing alone. It's the word of God. He believes with all of his heart that the God of the universe will fill him with more joy and contentment and more delight than anything else in his life, more than food. He says, I would rather starve. I'd rather starve than miss out on the contentment and the joy and the delight that God is bringing me. How does he know that? How does he, how does he know that? Because the word has told him. And so he endures and he finds out on the other side it was true. If he does not endure, he'll never know that's true. He'll never, he'll never know the truth of that if he doesn't endure it. The next temptation is this. It's similar, but it's different. Similar, it's different. Verse uh, 5. Second temptation. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And in a moment of time, he said to him, To you I will give all this authority in their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours, right? The devil takes him up, says, look, look I'm going to show you all the nations of the world, all the people who, who, who have ever been and ever will be. And listen, they, they are mine. Their hearts are wicked and cursed. They, they belong to me. They are slaves of sin. I'm, going, I'm receiving the glory from their life because they have chosen to worship themselves. And I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, Jesus, I'll just give it to you. You can do with it what you will. Uh, it's yours. No cross, no death, no shame, no, no, no beating. Just give it to you right now. All you got to do is worship me. You see, the way that this temptation is different, but yet it's, it's very similar, right? You see, I think that we think that Satan, Satan tempts us by making things bad for us. And that's, that is actually true. He does do that. When we stumble and we fall and we fail, he is quick to remind us of how guilty we are, how much shame we should feel, how much condemnation we should feel, all of which are not true because we've been freed by the gospel. We've been freed by the cross, right? He is, he's quick to, to find ways to, to make us stumble and fall, but he's also there when everything seems good and right. He knows your hopes and your dreams. He knows what you ultimately long to achieve. And he knows, man, what Jesus has come to achieve is the glory of God and the rescue, the salvation of the world, of you and me. And, Jesus says, and Satan says to Jesus, man, listen, their hearts are wicked, they're broken, they're stained, and ultimately all of their glory is coming to me because they're worshiping themselves, not you. And I'll take my hands off of it and I'll let you fix it all. But Jesus knows that's not how it's going to go down. He, can, he confines his mind, he confines his actions once again to Scripture. He's going to quote Scripture again. He's going to quote Deuteronomy, um, he's going to quote Deuteronomy 6, 13, but he's going to do it here in Luke 4, 
Um, Verse 8, and Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Man, there's so many scriptures that he could have quoted here, but he quotes this one. He says, man, I will never bow down to anyone other than God. Why? Because scripture has has bound me to this. The word of God has been spoken in my life, and I know that the thing that's going to bring me ultimately the greatest joy, the greatest delight, the greatest uh, glory for him, the greatest goodness in my life is to be fully obedient to the word. I know this is the moment I could get all the things that I wanted. I, I know they're right there. Right there is the mission, the hopes and the dreams, and I can just take it and I can have it. But I will not sacrifice the word that controls me, that constrains me, that confines me, that I am fully obedient to for the sake of what I selfishly want. Now, friends, I'm just, listen, how many of us could withstand that temptation, man? The reality is I know people in this room, I know with certainty, you put enough people in a room, man, the majority of us at times in our life have rejected the, the word of God and the will of God in our lives to achieve something that we selfishly wanted. And it did not fulfill. In a moment, maybe it brought you some gladness. In a moment, maybe it brought you some relief. But it did not bring lasting contentment. It did not bring lasting joy. It did not bring lasting delight. It did not fulfill. But we've all done it. We sacrifice the word of the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We've said, man, I, I will not be obedient to it to pursue what is ultimate to me, and what is ultimate to me is me. We've, we've all done that. We've all pursued that. It's a similar, but it's different. To reject, to reject the, the temptation of, of Satan, to reject the temptation of Satan, to say, no, 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 I will not reach for that hope. I will not reach for that dream. I will submit myself to the word. I will endure momentary suffering in order to achieve what God has for me rather than what I have for myself. Does not feel good at the time. Don't mishear me. It's not like when Jesus says, says no, 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 I'm not going to do that, that he's like, oh, this feels good. It doesn't feel good. It's, it's, the, it's, it's a hard work that requires intense discipline. This is why the Spirit has him there, to build this discipline into his life, to build a greater affection in his life, to build a greater understanding of what is ultimate in his life. It doesn't feel good in that moment. But our ultimate God, the Word of God, our ultimate God will always lead us to what is ultimately better. If we know the Word, we submit our lives fully to it in obedience. It always leads us to what is ultimately better. Our ultimate God always ultimately leads us to what is ultimately better. The next temptation, the last one is this, verse 9. Verse 9, this one's a little weird, a little different. And he, Satan, took him, Jesus, to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple And said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. Satan is going to quote some scripture here. He's going to quote Psalm 91. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, 
least your foot, uh, least you strike your foot against the stone. Right? Here's the, here's the last piece. This is, what, this is what Satan does next. He says, okay, you want to you control your life? You want to confine your life by Scripture? You want to live that way? Let me give you some Scripture. And he quotes Psalm 91. He says, listen, Psalm 91 says that if you jump off this, the angels are going to bear you up. They're not going to let your feet strike on the rock, so let's go for it. Let's go for it. Let's have some fun. Let's show everybody who you are. Let's see what the angels do. You want to live your life confined and controlled by Scripture? Here, be obedient to it. Jump off the temple. Remember, he's the father of lies. Jesus answers him, verse 12, and Jesus answered him and said, again, quoting Scripture, Deuteronomy 6, 16, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed him until an opportune You see, so often we can take scripture, if you've been around the church long enough, if you, if you grew up in religion, you grew up in the church, you probably know some scriptures that you, you love. Um, and if you've been around long enough, you've probably used some scriptures to, to justify some things that you, maybe you have done, right? Um, you, maybe you have uh, told somebody who's kind of, maybe somebody's calling someone out in your life, Right? Maybe someone's calling you out on something, and you're like, don't judge me. Don't you know the Bible says not to judge, right? Usually we can't quote the exact verse, but we, we just know it's, it's in there someplace, right? So, somewhere in there, it says this, right? And we, and we use that to, to justify our, our means, our actions to achieve the thing that we ultimately want, which is ultimately us, our selfish desires, our, our glory, our renown, our success, our fame, right? And we, and we, have, we all have scriptures that we don't like. Like, man, I, I, don't really, I don't really like those scriptures. Like, we don't, we don't like the fact that the majority of the New Testament says, man, the mark of one who um, is, comes after Jesus, the one who follows him, is the one who suffers and endures persecution, right? Uh, we, we don't, we don't want to talk about that very much. Uh, we, don't, we don't like the fact that the gospel calls us to a place of confession. We don't like the fact that the gospel says that, man, we are all sinners condemned and guilty, endure, ready to endure the wrath of God. That is, that is what we have earned with all of our righteous deeds. They're filthy rags before him. We're like, I don't really like that. Let's just talk about grace. Let's talk about love. Let's just talk about, let's talk about the, 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 good, the good news. We talk about this all the time here at Flourishing Grace. Man, you cannot have good news without at least the chance of bad news. It doesn't, it doesn't work out that way. It never does, right? When the doctor calls and says, man, there's a cure for what you have, that's good news. But the bad news is, is that you have something that's bad that there was no cure for. When your kid comes home and says, man, we got straight A's, well, there's a chance that he had or she had F's, right? You cannot have good news without bad news. And so we, we pick and we choose what scriptures we want to submit our lives to and what we want to be obedient to. But Jesus submits his life to all scripture. And he allows all of it to, to control him, to confine him, to lead in God every action of every moment of his life. And when we submit all of our lives to all of Scripture, that's the only place, that then and there, that's when we are ready for all that God has for us. When we submit all of our lives to all of Scripture, then we will know all of the joy and all of the delight that there is in knowing Christ. That's the place. That's the only place. 
And you see, the fact, the reality is, is that what happens next is that Jesus shows, man, now he's ready. Now he's ready. Now that he's submitted all that he is to the will of God, but he's submitted all that he is, he's, confound, he's controlled himself, he's constricted himself by Scripture alone, he's ready. The next thing that happens is he goes out on mission. He begins his journey. He begins his march to the cross. He begins it this way. In verse 14, And Jesus returned in power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in the synagogues, being glorified by all. You see, not all of the, not all of the fullness, not all of the fullness is for you. This is a hard thing for us to wrap our minds around. When, when we are obedient to God, when we allow our, our lives to be controlled and um, uh, constricted by Scripture, when we are fully obedient to the Word of God in our lives, yes, we will experience more of Jesus. But it's not all for us. See, Jesus is obedient to Scripture, not so that he might get more. He's obedient to Scripture for you. You see, Jesus shows up on the scene knowing what Scripture says the Messiah is going to be like. He's going to be crushed, beat down, nailed to a cross. He knows all the Messianic prophecies. He knows where he's going. He knows, he knows the future. He knows his destiny. He knows that he must end up on the cross for you and for me. And so he submits himself and becomes obedient. Obedient not just to scripture, but he becomes obedient all the way, even to death. Even death on a cross. What are you submitting your life to? What is, what is controlling you? What is constricting you? What are, the, what are the guide rails of your life that you said, man, no matter how much I long for it, I will not cross this. No matter how much I'm tempted to move, I will not move past this. Do you know the word of God? Do you know what's ultimate in your life? Have we given up those principles? Have we given up those morals in pursuit of what is ultimately what I, what I long for? And praise be to him that he did not do that because if he would have, there would be no cross. There'd be no death. There would be no forgiveness. There would be no restoration for you or for me. This morning, we're gonna receive communion together. We're going to receive communion. Um, and communion is the moment where we remind ourselves that he has done this for us. We remind ourselves that Jesus was ultimately controlled, confined, obedient, submissive to what God had called him to. To be a perfect sacrifice. Be the one that would die in your place and mine. To be the one that would remove the wrath of God from you and from me so that it might be placed on him. On the cross, the wrath of God is poured out onto Christ and, and all of our sin is killed there. All of it is nailed to the cross. It is, it is dead. It is buried in the grave and all of his righteousness is extended to you. You've been clothed in his righteousness. If you are in Christ here this morning, you've been clothed in his righteousness. 
And even when you stumble, even when you fall, the cross is still the place that we can return to. Again and again and again, with the hearts of confession, we return to the cross. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to return to the cross. Because the reality is, every single one of us in this room has fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us in this room has pursued the temptation of Satan in our lives. We've said yes to things because they're going to relieve us of some discomfort. We've said yes to some things because we think it's the quick way to get to things that we ultimately want. We've used even our faith in God to justify some of those things that we've done. And so here's what we're going to do. We're gonna, in a minute, we're going to come up. We're, we'll dismiss you. You guys can come up. You'll take the bread. You can dip it into the cup. And the bread represents the body of Christ. And the blood. And the cup represents his blood. We're going to reflect on the cross together. But before we do, I just want you to bow your heads with me. Just bow your heads. In this room, in this moment, I want to ask you a question. Where is the Spirit of God leading me? Where is the discomfort in your life? Where are you? Where are you pursuing the quick and easy way out? Where are you pursuing the quick and easy way to accomplish a hope or a dream? Friends, Satan is working there. Where do you need to fight for endurance, patience? Where do you need to have hard conversations and seek reconciliation with a friend? Where do you need to ask for forgiveness? Man, that's where Christ is. Where do you need to submit in obedience to the Word of God? Where do you need to submit in obedience to Christ? That's where He is. He's in our confession. He's in our prayers of tears when we admit who we are before him. And I said earlier, man, Satan knows you. He knows everything there is about you. So does Christ. And yet he forgives you of it all and loves you in spite of yourself. And so let us declare again and again and again and again until he returns. Let us declare that there is a cross where we can come and we can find forgiveness. We can find, um, we can find the righteousness of Christ. That there is a word that has been given to us to lead us, to guide us. That there is a spirit um, of God who is, who is moving in our lives to bring about something better for us. And even though we might not see it in the valley, he is there and he's leading us through. Him be the glory, not you, and not me, forever and ever. Amen.